Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. It's great to be back here at New Covenant. Uh, This has been, I've been doing the countdown, four days till church, three days till church, two days till church. So today is really exciting for me, and I hope that you guys are just as happy to be here. We are doing our best here at New Covenant, as you can tell, to kind of get things back to normal in a safe and responsible way. But we're, we're slowly sliding back in. Our young adults are still meeting every Tuesday. Our men's ministry is still meeting every Saturday at 8 a.m. in person and online. And of course, our family services are back too, back up at the warehouse so your family can worship safely together. They're going on right now uh, and also at 1045. Um, Let's see what else. Oh, all of these things available. Again, we're still doing our podcasting as well. So this service is gonna be recorded and then posted for for people to enjoy later online at nccabq.org. For everyone who was able to participate in our Navajo Nation supply drive, we just wanna thank you. It was a wonderful way for us to give back and we will continue to look for ways to partner with the church in Window Rock. So if you didn't get a chance to donate, uh, you know, just hang on, we'll have some more information coming up. But again, thank you to everyone who did contribute. We also wanna remind you that there's an ongoing need with uh, both our food pantry and the weekend food packets that we're putting together for E.G. Ross Elementary School. We're gonna change our donation times for that. So if you wanna bring anything again for the food, the food pantry or E.G. Ross, you can do that, bring it with you Sunday uh, or during our office hours during the week. Uh, what else, let's see, my notes are, I'm trying to hold my mask and my phone at the same time. And I'm a little out of practice not having been here for a few months. <laughs> Uh, As always, your tithes, your financial gifts, your offering, those are more important than ever right now. There is still such a huge need in our community that our church is filling. So we just want to thank you for continuing to give uh, with your whole heart everything that you're able to do. Uh, And you can do that, you know, here through the boxes or online at nccabq.org. And that's also where you're going to find details about all of the things that I've mentioned. Uh, if you have any questions. Again, nccabq.org. So with that, let's prepare for uh, Pastor Steve's message today. Uh, Get up and wave from a safe distance. Uh, Say hello to uh, someone you know. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Pastor Dave wanted me to say hello. He's uh, taking off a Sunday for the first time in six months. I hope he's sleeping in, but I know him too well to uh, really imagine that. I know he's up in Adam and uh, probably uh, even visiting another church, but um, just wanted you to know a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. Even though the future is uncertain, we are planning for it, and we've been going to a, a lot of effort, a lot of work with redoing the sound system, improving uh, all those kinds of things, the lights, and we have crews in here all day, almost every day, trying to get this set up. And we'll soon be able to uh, do video services online and a lot of technical improvements that will make it even more enjoyable to worship here. So we thank you for for bearing with us through all of this. I wanna start with a scripture from Psalm 19, and it's a prayer, so join me and bow your head, please. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart 
be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I always joke that maybe the shortest prayer you'll ever hear out of any pastor. Um, I have to give full disclosure and admit to each of you that over the past four months, the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart have often not been pleasing to the Lord. And that's due to some things that are rapidly spreading out of control throughout all of our society. And I'm talking of things that are extremely contagious and very deadly, even uh, dangerous in many, many ways besides COVID-19. Because as bad as this pandemic is, coronavirus is not the only thing that's causing horrible damage in our world today. Let's start with a few of the most common infections. Worry, frustration, fear of the unknown, anxiety, depression, and now what they're calling shutdown fatigue. It's been going on so long that we're just fed up and tired and it all adds up to a lot of anger. And the length of time that it's gone on, like Pastor Dave said, at the beginning, a lot of us were thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this for two, three, four weeks. Maybe I'll even enjoy it. And here we are 120 days in, and we're not even close to being done with the shutdowns and the job losses and the businesses that haven't been able to survive and the people that haven't been able to survive and the horrible things that have been happening with those in hospitals from other things other than coronavirus that can't even have visitors, people that have passed away and can't even have a, a decent funeral service. Six weeks ago, in a staff meeting, I said something along the lines of, the tension in our society is building up like the pressure inside a volcano, and it's so bad that it reminds me of the 60s when I was growing up, and I'm afraid we're gonna see a lot of riots this summer. Oh Lord, how I wish that prediction, that simple comment, had been wrong. I wasn't even thinking about race riots, as was the cause of those riots back then in the 60s, but then we had the killing of George Floyd that the world witnessed, and boom! All of those feelings that we already had were magnified and multiplied many times and the world exploded. Our nation was shocked and, and regardless of your age, your political beliefs or your re relationship to the Lord, I don't know a single person that's not frustrated, hurt, afraid and angry. In many cases, very angry. We all know that things in our society must change. We cannot continue to live in a society where most African-American men are terrified of being pulled over by police officers, fearful for their lives simply because of what many of them refer to as driving while black. And we can't function in a world where the public assaults and ambushes and kills honest, hardworking law enforcement officers who are just doing their jobs to the best of their ability. We know in our hearts that the overwhelming majority of both of these groups are good people who just want to live their lives. We can do better than this. And as upsetting as all this social upheaval has been to everyone, we as the church cannot allow our personal emotions to get out of control especially not our anger. Paul taught that anger can control us and that allowing it to do so is a sin. 
In Ephesians 4.26, he says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And a foothold is all the devil needs, right? Understandably, there's a lot of frustration in our world today, and it most often grows into anger. Now, being angry in itself is not a sin, yet so many of our sins are the result of being angry these days, right? Scripture shows us God gets angry. We know Jesus was angry at times too. So the sin problem doesn't come from the emotion of anger itself, but from what we do with that anger. And in this powerfully important passage, the Apostle Paul, who had quite a temper himself, gives us instruction, advice, and a warning. When we allow anger to influence our words, our actions, or even our thoughts, we often lose control. We do things, we say things that we regret, and we suffer the consequences, and Satan laughs. But we can't just ignore our anger by pretending it doesn't exist. It's not good to just stuff it. Holding anger inside causes a delayed response that can result very often in a bigger blow-up. Ulcers, hypertension, heart attacks, the results of improperly dealing with their anger, and so are outbursts of violence. Paul basically is saying, don't let your anger simmer. The longer we let it set, the hotter it will get. Deal with your anger today in a good and godly way. Give it to Jesus. Tell him openly and honestly how you feel and why, and ask God to help you take an honest look at yourself to see where you might be wrong in a disagreement or argument. And even if your feelings are justified, we can't allow anger to eat us up inside. Jesus already knows how you feel and that your anger is real. He's always available to help you with your self-control. Ask Jesus to melt your anger away before the evil one uses it in a very detrimental way. It's tough. Here we are surrounded by all these strange new rules that change every five minutes, every few days in a strange new world that none of us fully understand. We haven't had the time to process all this yet. No one ever expected this to happen, any of it. Life as we knew it was supposed to continue on and on with God pouring out blessing upon blessing, right? Because we do what? We take God and his goodness for granted. And we forget or are never taught our world history that in society after society, century after century, things were moving along in a perfectly normal way until they weren't. Then war or famine or persecution or contagious disease changed the world. But that only happened to others, only in the past. It wasn't supposed to happen to us because God is good all the time and all the time. God is good, right? He truly is. If we stop and think about it, even in horrible times like what are happening right now, we have so much to be thankful about. And though Pastor Dave's not here right now, I want to share his weekly affirmation because I, I read this out loud to myself almost every day. Let's do this together. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. 
By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he is transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art. May his will be done in me today. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We need that reminder every day. You know, four months ago, things came to a screeching halt in the beginning of March. Now, four months later, we're still deep in this situation that many of us may never completely understand, and our natural human response is to be upset about it. Think a child that's had a toy taken away or an ice cream cone removed from his hand. I can be caught unexpectedly uh, in anger, and I've come to realize that it's contagious. And the title of my message today is More Contagious Than Coronavirus. I can be mad with someone on television or radio that I've never met and then walk in the house 10 minutes later and somehow be angry with my wife and children who had nothing to do with it. Have any of you had disagreements in your home during the shutdown? Show of hands. Oh, you're okay. A couple of honest people. <laughs> Let's be more honest. This is easier. Have any of you not had strife and disagreements and arguments with those you're closest to? It's hard. I'm just dumb enough to be honest and admit to you that it's happened way too many times in my home between me and my wife, between us and our young adult children, between me and my dogs. Well, they may be the only ones I haven't argued much with over the past 90 days. There have been a few times it's been close. And my anger affects my overall attitude and it separates me from God. Just the opposite of what should be happening. I, I sense it in the grocery store, at, at, at the, the hardware store, in the line, even in my car, in line at the bank. And wearing a mask doesn't help me be at peace with my fellow man. I'm a little claustrophobic, and I, ha I have trouble breathing through a mask, and I have poor hearing and depend on watching people's lips to understand what they're saying. And worst of all, you can't see when people are smiling. I, I've made a habit as I'm walking by people as often as I can to say, I'm smiling at you, so, so at least they, they get an idea of it. And, 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 and I had a special mask custom designed for me. Of course, it's got the New Mexico chilies on it. It's also got a zipper reminding me that I don't have to comment on every, every subject that, 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 that comes up. But I have to admit that the stress and the uncertainty has made me tense. And, as I'm out in stores, and I've had to be out quite a bit because I'm, I'm doing a lot of ministry that, that's requiring me to, to purchase things and to go places to help others. And if I'm in a hurry or frustrated because I can't find something, my natural default seems to become angry. And I've, I've felt myself starting to lose my temper several times. So I have to remind myself, if I am listening to the world, anger will come pouring in. If I am listening to the word, love should come pouring out. It's critical that I listen carefully to the Lord. And this requires me to set aside some quiet time to read scripture and pray and study his word and to contemplate what it means in today's world. I also find that Christian music on, on the radio is very helpful to bring me peace of mind. And these things 
open up different ways that allow Jesus to speak to us. A scripture I've gone to dozens of times over the past months, almost daily, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. At the very start of this, when I was on two solid weeks of house arrest, I mean quarantine, never left my property once, I was pretty diligent about spending a lot of extra time in the Bible and prayer and working on keeping my mind at peace, though I was very frustrated at being forced to stay home. And since I've gone back into more of a regular schedule, I've taken on a couple of pretty big ministry projects. And once again, I've allowed some of the busyness of the world to pull me away from some, not all of my quiet time with God. And I feel the difference. We pay a price when we let anything else get between us and those important aspects. And in the political, social, and spiritual climate that we live in today, Anger is understandable, but it's not helpful. It's not profitable. Anger hurts our most important relationships, and it keeps us from realizing the wonderful plans Jesus has made for us. Because when we get angry, evil wins another battle. When I get angry with my family, I feel like such a horrible failure. And the evil one loves that. And he whispers in my ear and, 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 and tells me horrible things about myself and about my eternity that I know aren't true. But I have to remind myself that failure is only temporary. It's just a battle in the overall war. Doesn't mean I've lost the war. We know who wins the war in the end because it's written in scripture and it's promised through the words of Christ. So we have to all do our best, do better, get out in front of the issue and recognize that anger is not only real, it's very sneaky and it's insidious, and it is all around us, not just in us, but growing inside of others. And, 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 and it's so contagious that it can be very dangerous to our souls. And we have to give others the benefit of the doubt and recognize that they're frustrated too. They're angry, too. We don't know what's going on in their lives, in their head, in their heart. There's so much in this current situation that seems to change every day that's frustrating to me. A lot of it has to do with my lack of trust for people in positions of authority. I think many of them are using what should be a humanitarian effort to grow long-term political power and control. But Scripture teaches us how to deal with that type of situation, too. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still in the patience of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop, be, uh, excuse me, I lost my place here. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. As Christians, we have to do our best to control what we can. There's so much we don't have any control over, but our frustration is controllable if we give it to God. And we have to obey the government authorities as we're taught in Romans 13, because God has put them in their positions. 
yet we constantly have to be on guard because history proves again and again that the nature of government, any government, is to overstep their authority, especially when it comes to Christians in the church. My friend Chip Lusco says we have to find the balance between Romans 13 and Acts 5.29 where the apostles were brought before the high council and accosted. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name and instead you filled all Jerusalem with teaching about him. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. It's a balance, it's a fine line and we have to keep ourselves very well attuned to what's going on. Jesus spoke a lot about the dangers of personal anger in a passage in Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Quick poll, how many of you, show of hands, have brought yourself in danger of the fires of hell recently, huh? I know, I know. Sorry for the uh, comedic interruption. Jesus continues the passage in verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person then come and offer your sacrifice to God. God doesn't even want you worshiping him at church if you are in a fight with someone. Now, that's not an excuse to not go to church. It's a command that you need to go do your best to make things right. Because if we're angry with anyone, God will not hear our prayers. Ephesians 4.26 reminds us, as we said, don't sin by letting anger control you and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil like we mentioned a moment ago. But the rest of the passage is key. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Oh, that hurts. I could be grieving God and the Holy Spirit by my words and my actions. Scripture continues, remember he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So, okay, Lord, I'm trying. It's not always easy. Where do I go? What do I do to get rid of all this stuff that eats me up inside, causing so many problems with my attitude and my behaviors? Well, as Christians, we should know that for every situation in life, Scripture holds the answers. And we'll move to our main Scripture this morning, Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. 
His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. We skip down to verse 14. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. There is so much for us to worry about or be afraid of in life. Written thousands of years ago, this scripture fits in perfectly to me with all that's happening in our world today. When we truly rest in God's promises, they act as our protection, our armor from fear and anxiety. And with the, the pandemic and the social turbulence today, trusting God to help us, to protect us, to shelter us, relieves so much of the pressure that builds up. We understand that terrible things can and do happen even to faithful followers of the Lord. This scripture doesn't say that we won't get a virus, but it promises the Lord will be with us if we do. It doesn't promise we'll never have trials or hard times. Other scripture promises that we will. But we realize that the worst that can happen is for us to die on this earth. And that's sad and it's scary, but we have to remember that leads to the best that can happen for believers. Eternity in paradise with our Lord and Savior. I love this life. I enjoy living. And I, I have a hard time with Christians who are terrified of dying. How, how can we say we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and yet be completely afraid of going to spend eternity with him in paradise. And, and I don't want to be critical at all. If you feel differently, I know it's a very common issue, even in my family. It's human nature to fight to want to live. I get that. There's an old uh, country song that I used to love called uh, Prop Me Up Against the Jukebox When I Die. Lord, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go tonight. He's kind of putting it off, and that's, uh, that, that speaks for a lot of us, right? The reality is each, each of us will die someday, relatively soon, and if we truly are faithful believers, our next life will be so much better, so much different than this one that we can't imagine it. And I understand the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty of our near future. We've lived an incredibly beautiful life, and it's hard to see it falling apart, pieces taken away. It's hard to feel like this virus is melting our freedoms and our choices and our future. As I mentioned, people are dying alone in hospitals. We can't visit our grandkids. Uh, they keep extending the stay-at-home orders, and it brings incredible sadness and despair and depression. Hasn't been in the news a lot. It sneaks in a little bit, but suicide rates are skyrocketing because people feel helpless. And those who don't have a strong connection with Jesus become absolutely hopeless. You and I cannot allow our thoughts to spiral downward to that point. This is where we as the church can step up and be leaders in the community. We can be bright lights in this dark world. We can be the church that is the city on the hill that everyone looks to as a shining example through the night. 
We can't hide away in our homes and care only about ourselves and our immediate family. Just as a mother bird comforts and protects her offspring under the shelter of her wings, Jesus reaches out and invites us to take cover under his amazing peace of mind simply because we trust in his promises of grace and love. And in turn, we must spread our wings and offer our love and protection and comfort to others who are hurting or afraid or unable to provide for themselves and their families. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Keep in mind, as he says our present troubles are small, he was in prison awaiting execution. He wasn't living a life of luxury. He says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We are not alone. Jesus is with us this very moment, and he has promised to never leave us or forsake us, even in a worldwide pandemic. The church has a long and wonderful history concerning deadly diseases and pandemics. We don't hear about them very often. I did a quick search online and found a lot of interesting stuff. Lyman Stone from the Institute of Family Studies in Foreign Policy Magazine has a, a long article, and I'll just share a couple of paragraphs. To find the moral resources to tackle COVID-19, both its possible death toll and the fear that stalks our communities alongside the disease, we have to look at the past. For me, that means examining how people of my tradition, Christians, have handled plagues of the past. The distinctive approach to epidemics Christians have adopted over time is worth looking at. The Christian response to plagues begins with some of Jesus' most famous teachings. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Put plainly, the Christian ethic in a time of plague considers that our own life must always be regarded as less important than that of our neighbor. During the plagues in the periods of the Roman Empire, Christians made a name for themselves. Historians have suggested that the terrible Antonine Plague of the second century, which killed off approximately a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity because society saw Christians caring for the sick. Some of these pandemics in history were so terrible, a person would go to bed at night perfectly healthy and wake, wake up in the morning moments from death. They were so afraid that they were taking people that were still alive and they were tossing them out in the muddy streets as if they were trash, piling dirt on top of them before they were even dead. It was just horrific beyond anything that we can imagine. A more famous epidemic, the plague of Cyprian, named for the bishop who gave a colorful account of this disease in his sermons, was probably some type of Ebola, and it set off in the crisis of the third century in the Roman world, but it also triggered an explosive growth in Christianity. Cyprian's sermons told Christians not to grieve for the plague victims, they live in heaven, but to redouble efforts to care for the living. His fellow bishop Dionysius described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. They didn't have medicines, they didn't have ventilators. Sometimes it was just 
water and, and, and a cloth to wipe their head. But millions survived because of the care and the love of the church. And it wasn't just Christians who noted this. The actively pagan emperor Julian bitterly complained how the Christians would care for even those who are non-Christian. And the church historian uh, Pontianus recounts how Christians ensured that good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. Sociologist and religious demographer Rodney Stark claims that death rates in cities with Christian communities may have been just half of other cities. And of course, the great church reformer who we're all so grateful to, Martin Luther, was there when the bubonic plague hit his home in Wittenberg. He refused calls to flee the city and protect himself. He stayed and ministered to the sick. And that cost him the life of his daughter Elizabeth. Luther wrote, a tract called Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague. He said, we die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. In modern language for Christians, it's better that we should die serving our neighbor than surrounded in a pile of masks and hand sanitizer that we had stockpiled up and never got the chance to use. And if we care for each other, if we share our masks and hand soap and canned foods, if we are our brother's keeper, we might actually reduce the death tolls too. Our friends, our brothers and sisters in the Navajo Nation have been hit so hard and they have so few resources and it's been such a blessing to be able to send two huge truckloads of goods out there Simple things, water, bedding, clothes, food. We're buying them a cow, we're having, we're having it butchered and we'll, we'll, we'll be sending out a, a, a cow uh, trans, transferred into ground beef very, very soon. We have lost 17 pastors in just one area that we're tying in with and serving. The first sacrifice that Christians must make, says James Palmer, a missionary in Hong Kong today, is that we have to give up our convenience as we enthusiastically participate in aggressive sanitation measures and social distancing. The kind of humble care for others is a powerful force. And he says that we have to practice good sanitary procedures and it's not about saving our own skin but about loving our neighbor, that it becomes not just life saving but soul enlivening. He says this brings me to one of the more controversial elements of historic Christian plague ethics. We don't cancel church. The whole motivation of personal sacrifice to care for others and other regarding measures to reduce infection presupposes the existence of a community in which we're all stakeholders. Even as we take communion from separate plates and cups to minimize risk, forego handshaking or hugging and sit at a distance from each other, we still commune. And those outside the church view this as some kind of fanaticism. Christians are so obsessed with church going, they'll risk epidemic disease to show up. But that's not it. The coronavirus leaves over 95% of its victims still breathing, still alive. 
but it leaves virtually everyone in society afraid, anxious, isolated, alone, and angry. And in our increasingly separated society, the coronavirus could rapidly mutate into an epidemic of despair. Church attendance serves as sort of a roll call in society today, especially for older people. And you'll notice that most of those that we love that are older in the church are not, not here today. A lot of us on staff have been trying to make phone calls as often as possible to reach out to them because they're so important to our family. A lot of them don't even have email or electronic abilities to watch services online. And if you'd like to help with that, we could use the help. They need to know we love them. Those who don't show up need to be checked on because without work and school and public gathering and sports and hobbies, these things in the outside world that are so important to our humanity, we lose the, the moral and mental support to be the decent people we all aspire to be. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 sums this up pretty well. Encourage those who are timid Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those of you who belong to Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozier said, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a test, and it's critically important that we all pass this because Jesus doesn't just want you and our church to survive. He needs you and our church to thrive. God doesn't just want to protect you. He wants to use you to help others at work, at school. What to do? Just look around. Open your eyes, open your ears. Rick Warren says, every hurt, habit, and hang-up you see in others is an open door to bring Jesus into their life. And I know that some of you are worried or angry or depressed or afraid or all of those things all at once. Jesus can use you anyway, just the way that you are. He'll allow you to jump in to help someone who's worse off than you. And as that happens, you'll begin to see many of your fears and frustrations and your anger and your doubt and your hurt melt away. 2 Corinthians 4 says, we are pressed on every side by troubles but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. A couple of positive steps to put your faith into action. If you're able and not in a high-risk category, keep coming to church. We are so blessed to be able to provide online services, to watch on the internet, but I can tell you by personal experience, it's not the same as being here. And I've heard <laughs> so many excuses. Oh, I'll stay home so someone else can have that seat. We have room. We are following all the guidelines. We're being safe. Join us 
every week if at all possible and invite others. Look outside your close personal circle for opportunities to help to minister to others in need. Perhaps something simple, maybe someone needs you to go get groceries. More likely they just need a call to find out how they're doing. Ask if you can pray for them. Let them know that they're not the only one struggling with anger, fear, depression, doubt, frustration, the long list. And give back a larger portion of what God has given you than has been the normal. Determine today to get the larger portion of your time, your talent, and your treasure into the hands of others. So many of you are already doing this, and it's really been wonderful to see through the shutdown how things have, have worked for us here at New Covenant in spite of a very tough economy. And I feel bad for those who are pulling back and stockpiling their resources and their wealth. Scripture promises that God will give us back much, much more than we can ever give. So pray to have the courage and the faith to give generously, whether it's directly to the church's general fund or to our compassion fund, which cares for the neediest, within our New Covenant family, you would be surprised at just how many families we help every month with gasoline to get to work or food or a utility bill or sometimes a part of the rent, sometimes much more than that, cars. Um, and, and more importantly, uh, drawing them in and making them part of our family through our teaching and our prayers and our faith. And if it's not the church, Go to an outside ministry, Beds for Kids or the Rock at Noonday or many, many other Christian groups in our community that are so worthy of our support. Pray for others. Our prayer team is always looking for volunteers to join us. And, and that's something you can do easily from the safety of your home if you're listening online. It's time for communion. And uh, as we leave today, you will see baskets that will be uh, attended to by our deacons and their families. And um, we'll ask you to donate there along with above and beyond your normal donation to the general fund here at New Covenant. That's what, what we uh, use for our compassion ministry, the families we just mentioned. And we do it at this time every month when we take communion to, um, to thank the Lord for all that he's given us. Of course, uh, a little piece of styrofoam here, the bread, represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And the grape juice, if you can get the top off without spilling it, represents the blood that he shed. Don't take this lightly. Don't take communion frivolously because it insults Jesus if we do. It insults his father who willingly gave up his own son who was sinless, who did nothing wrong, and who went to the cross to serve as a sacrifice for all of mankind for all of time. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive us for our many, many sins. Oh Lord, we fall short, we fall down, we fail. But don't let us give up. Forgive us, Lord. Change us. Help us to repent. Help us to not take your grace.
lightly or cheaply, Lord. Help us to repent, to turn from our sins, to walk away, to practice behaviors and habits that will make us more like you. Help us to make it to church, to small group. Help us to reach out to others. Help us to be part of your team, your army of servants who goes out into this world and willingly sacrifices our time and our talent and our treasure. And Lord, if necessary, someday our lives for your kingdom. You told us to go into all the world and spread the word. And Lord, uh, so many times we're afraid to even do it in our own neighborhood, even in our own place of work. And Lord, there, there are standards and things that, that need to be uh, followed and accepted to, to stay within society's boundaries. But so many of us can do so much more than we've ever done before. And Lord, with the world the way it is, we don't know how long we'll have. But we know that you've given us enough time. And we know that you've given us your word. And because of that, we thank you. We love you and we praise you for all that you've done. And Lord, we look forward, as uncertain as the future is, to all that you promise is still to come. We've read your book. We know how the story ends. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.